Welcome to Permission to be Human, the podcast. I'm your host, Mel Finlater, mother, coach, and curator of Permission to be Human, the company and community. If you're a mom, know a mom, or want to be a mom, and you crave getting out in the world to make a difference, then you're in the right place. This is a space for moms like you to connect with yourself, your purpose, and your big audacious dreams. Because when you feel your best, you can better you, your family, and the wider world. Let's do this. Today we have a real gem for you folks. I feel so privileged to have had Louisa Jewell on our episode today. Louisa is one of Canada's leading experts on the science of well-being and human thriving, and she founded the Canadian Positive Psychology Association. And she was my teacher in all things positive psychology at the Flourishing, Flourishing Center. And this interview is an amazing place to, one, figure out what on earth positive psychology even means to hear Louisa's story as a real honest and open person who has had some real hardships in life and has used the learnings of positive psychology to help her not only get through them, but to thrive within some of the hardest things that you could imagine happening to a person. And Louisa, of course, is an amazing teacher, so she also teaches us some things about growth mindsets and about how can we take care of ourselves, how can we put ourselves first and why that's important, and so, so much more. So stick around if you are someone who maybe is struggling and needs to find the courage to say, please help me figure this out. Or if you have been there and are now in a place where you need inspiration and you want to hear how someone like Louisa has set up such an incredible thing like the Canadian Positive Psychology Association, as well as her amazing podcast on Audible called The Awesome Project. So do check that out as well. All right. So stay tuned and let's dig in. Hi, Louisa. Thanks so much for joining today. Hi, Mel. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I am so excited to have you here. Louisa is my teacher, essentially, of all things positive psychology and has been, you've been an amazing part of my journey in rediscovering myself as a person and using some of these tools that positive psychology, which we'll talk about what that is in a second, but using those tools to really come back to myself, actually. So CAP, which is a Certificate in Applied Positive Psychology, which Louisa taught me in, definitely made a big difference in my life. So I'm so excited to have you here to share with others. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I I think that positive psychology really does change your life. Like I remember when I did my Master of Applied Positive Psychology degree, you know, not only did I learn all the tools, but when I applied it to myself, it completely transformed who I was. It's kind of like the school of life kind of thing. (laughs) You know, Chris Peterson, one of the founders of positive psychology used to always say that it's, you know, really the study of the good life. Mm, yeah, I really like that. And that's that's a, a great introduction because my really my first question I wanted to ask was what is positive psychology in your terms? Because that that phrase will likely come up a lot in our conversation today. So how would you describe what positive psychology is? 
Well, I would say that it is the scientific study of psychological well-being and human flourishing. Mm. And to me, positive psychology is really the study of what's right in us, but it's also the study of what keeps us psychologically healthy. And so much of what we learn is really about mental illness. And I think we really, I mean, it's such an epidemic right now. Mental health is such an epidemic right now that I think we really need to, there's a real urgency to know about prevention and how to be proactive with your mental health. And so that's why I'm really passionate about helping people learn these tools because life can be hard and we need tools, these kind of tools to navigate life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's an amazing description. And we do life, life is hard. (laughs) It always is hard, right? And some, you might have some moments where it doesn't feel as much, but we will all have those times when things feel really hard on whatever scale, part of the scale that is within that. You know, life is hard and we need to make the best of it. You know, we need to be able to to really squeeze every ounce of joy and and happiness. And, you know, as I was, I'm, I'm reading a book and, and one of the things they talk about is that, what are you putting your attention on? And really your momentary, what you decide to put your attention on every single day, kind of, if you sum all that up at the end of your life, that's kind of your life, right? What you decided to focus in on. And so much of our brain can take us away to those dark places, even when when things are not going bad. We ruminate about those things that happened last week or last month, and they kind of rob us of even the good times or or the moments when, when things are good. So, you know, I, I think having the skills to know how to think, feel, and behave in a way that promotes your well-being, that promotes your happiness, I think is really a game changer. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree with that. And it's the putting into practice. And what I love about the tools that we will give some a little later, but the tools that, that you've taught me through positive psychology is that they're very practical. They're things I can literally just intentionally add into my day or catch myself in one of my thoughts that aren't serving me particularly well and be like, okay, what do I need to do to reframe that? You know, if something frustrates me, I'm a mom, as as everyone knows, and we get frustrated because things happen, you know, things happen with our kids or our partner or just in life in general. And it's, it's, what we don't want to do is react super negatively and strongly in the moment. We do sometimes because we're, we're human, but we, that's not what we're aiming to do. So in those moments, I, I now can take myself away and just be like, and know what to do with that space. Yes. There's the breathing and the getting back to yourself, but then like, okay, challenge some of the thoughts that I'm having that are making me feel so frustrated in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think, (laughs) you know, we feel frustrated as parents and then we don't show up the way that we always want to show up. And then of course, then we beat ourselves up for not showing up. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> way that we wanted to show up, right? Exactly. Um, so it's just constant. As a parent, it's just really constant. I think you really have to have a lot of self-compassion as a parent and, you know, and always do better. And I, I remember even my daughter saying, mom, I, I feel like you're a better mom after positive psychology, you know? Wow. And that was really great because I really did want to change my mental health. And, you know, 
this will really make mothers feel guilty. One of the number one contributors to children's depression is the, is the depression rates of the mother. So mm. we have a huge influence on our kids. So the healthier that we can be, the healthier, the happier. You know, this is why when I always hear mothers say, well, I have to put myself last because, you know, my kids are more important. So I'm always last. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to hear that because if you're putting yourself last, you're not going to be doing the things necessary to be the best mom that you can be. You know, you have to put yourself first, uh, not all the time, but there has to be times where you're putting yourself first and saying, I need this for my mental health, you know, for me to be able to show up as my best self. And then guess what? The kids eventually are going to move on. If you've done your job, they're going to go off to school or work or move, you know, live in another country or find partners and leave. And, you know, and then you're going to kind of be left with yourself, right? So, you know, if you haven't been thinking about what is good with you, what you want out of your life, what you want to achieve, what, how you want to be, you know, how you want to give to the world. You're going to kind of be stuck in that place when your kids are gone and going, what, well, what now? Yeah, exactly. And that's that I can agree with every single part of that. And to add to it, the, when we do say, I want to take time for myself, sometimes what I do anyways, is trick myself by saying, I want to take time. I want to take, put myself first so that I'm putting my kids first because it's the same thing, right? Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It might not feel like it in that exact moment with the screaming child behind the door because you had to walk away or with, you know, whatever it might be, but it is, it's the same thing by putting myself first. First, I am putting my kids first. Yeah. hundred right? percent. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It's that prevention. Okay. So we've dove, we dove right into positive psychology, but tell us a little bit about you. Who is Louisa Jewell? Oh, <laughs> it's a very broad who is, who question, is Louisa but... Jewell? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you that my story around positive psychology and how I got into it is that I was struggling, you know, as a mother and I was a new mother. And then I, I, I suffered through several miscarriages. So I found that I was really in a dark place. I, uh, I was going through some other big things, you know, big challenges in my life. So it was all kind of culminating together. And then, and then I, I asked, I remember I was at work and that the psychologist just happened to be there for an event. And I said to her, how do you know when you need help? You know, how do you know when it's time to go see a therapist? And she said, Louisa, it's when you're not coping well. You know, if you find it difficult to get out of bed or you can't get out of bed or you don't feel like going to work or you can't be there with your kids or and then so then I thought, OK, I think that's me. I think I need some help coping. And I wish more people would be open to going to see a therapist because seeing a therapist really kind of changed my life. And I realized that the therapist was doing things, reframing my thoughts. You know, they had techniques and it was really, it was very, very helpful. And I'd leave and then come back when things fell apart again. And finally, I said to my therapist, like, I need to know what you know. I can't just keep 
coming back here. Like, I know you're reframing my thoughts. I need to know those techniques. And so I said, give me some books. So he gave me some books. And that's when I discovered Marty Seligman's books, Authentic Happiness and Learned Optimism. And I was just blown away that there's actually a science behind this, you know, that psychologists are... Uh, you know, they're using cognitive behavioral therapy, but that's something that actually I can learn and apply to myself. So if cognitive behavioral therapy helps me get out of a depression, then wouldn't cognitive behavioral therapy keep me, you know, in a healthy space, you know, to have healthy ways of living and thinking, right? Cognitive is much more around how we think about things. So, you know, that was just uh, life transforming. And then I did my master's degree in a applied positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania and applied everything to myself. And I just completely transformed. And, and I think that, you know, life has taken me up and down. And again, I went, I thought, oh, you know, I've been through hard times. And then another thing hits and I'm like, wow, like, I, like, I really need this stuff to, keep me afloat because the I would say the past you know seven years have been just so so difficult and then the pandemic hit and it was just you know I really think that I I always say thank goodness for positive psychology in my life because I really would probably be you know clinically depressed you know right now if if I didn't have those and and I think you know I just came back from a six-month trip traveling around the world and so I love traveling and I, I really have never led kind of a conventional life because I always believe that life is abundant and that I'll be able to create whatever life that I want. And it's not always easy. You know, you know, right? Building your own business, it's not an easy thing, but it is the best thing. I think if you can do it, especially as a mother, because then you can make your own hours and 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 focus on the things that you really love to do. And I think, you know, that's that's what I try to do with my life. I just don't I just don't conform to every, you know, sort of the normal. <laughs> I kind of just do what I want. It's so funny because some stranger on Instagram, I guess, left me an audio message that says, so I guess you just go around doing whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote back and I said, mm -hmm, I guess, I guess that's what I do. So if you want to know who is Louisa Jewell, I think that's, that's a lot of, you know, who I am. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't mean I don't work really hard to make the money that I make to pay for every, you know, everything in my life, because, you know, you got to eat and, uh, pay for your roof over your head and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, so I work hard and I play hard, but yeah. I do it the way I want to do it. <laughs> That's amazing. And I think what really stands out to me there is that you're not so, so often with positive psychology, that term, if I say it to someone who has never heard it before, the positive part comes out, right? They're like, oh, so you just walk around happy all the time. Well, you must just have a great life. And actually what you're saying is, no, I have a really hard life, right? I have a great life and I have a really hard life. And that it's not that I just got, you know, given the right cards. I worked really, really hard or you worked really, really hard to get yourself to the space where you can manage those challenges that are coming your way at various points. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, some people look at a certain life and say, oh, I want that, but I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And I think the difference when you learn the tools is you look at a life and say, I want that. What do I need to do to go have that and get that? And you're right, Mel, those steps sometimes can be very difficult. You know, sometimes you've got stress and anxiety and think, what the heck am I doing? I have no idea if I can make this happen or look at that person over there. They're already doing this. What am I going to contribute? Or, you know, you have those things that come up, but then you have the tools to say, no, uh, here's what you can do. Here's a small step you can take. And step by step, then the next thing you know, a year later, you know, you're living living that that life that you saw. So I think that's the difference, right? You remember Caroline, I don't know if you know Caroline Miller, she's written a bunch of books, Getting Grit and, and other books, and she always wears a different color nail polish on her hand to have color because she loves colorful. She Everything is colorful. And uh, she was going through the grocery store and the woman, the cashier said, oh, I love your nails. That's so great. And she said, oh, well, you know, you could have those nails too. And she said, oh, no, no, I couldn't. <laughs> it's like, so interesting. Yeah. I know, right? Your beliefs about what you can do and what you can achieve, it that's everything. That's absolutely everything. Because if you don't think that it could ever happen for you, you're not going to behave in ways to make it happen. Why would you, right? You know, like I don't jump off my balcony because I know I can't fly, right? So that, you know, that solid belief keeps me, you know, in my condo, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> or using um, the stairs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when I have a strong belief and the same is for that. If I have a strong belief, like, oh, that could never be me, you know, but I always try to find like the baby steps, you know, the little steps. What's one little step I can take towards that? I can do that, mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah. 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 And that just, you know, I can't, I can't get myself away from the metaphor of the balcony now because I'm like, well, if you oh. decided you really wanted to jump off that balcony, your tiny step might be to like learn to hang glide or like, you know, <laughs> there's always something we can do. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Although I, it's not, it's not a desire. So we'll just no, leave exactly. it at that. <laughs> we'll just let it be. Yeah. I'm okay we'll with not that. jumping off my balcony. Yeah. I do not recommend anybody jumps off their balcony, by the way. But there are but. some people who do jump off buildings with those parachute yeah. things. Do you know what I mean? Like they're, and you know, they want to do that and good for them, you know, that's not that's not for me but there are people who say yeah you know what it'd be really cool to jump off a building and I and I think to myself well I could never do that mm -hmm. um and I don't and so I don't move towards that you know what I mean yeah. so yeah. and there's a difference between kind of you don't have a desire to do that right uh right. but if you did then it would be important to to inch towards the desire to do that right to, this tiny, yeah. I call them laughable steps that we can take because they're so tiny that it's like, that's not a step, right? Yeah. Towards whatever it is that we want to do. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, so, sometimes people, you know, will say, oh, I have no desire to do that. But really they mm -hmm. do. They mm -hmm. really do have a desire to do it. But they're so, you know, I was thinking to myself that I think one of the bigger, biggest contributors to mental illness 
is your inability to admit that you need help. Mm. You know, like in that moment, when I asked the therapist, you know, how do you know when you need help? And she said, when you're not coping well, I needed to have the courage to look at myself and say, Louisa, there's nothing wrong with you. You're okay. You're actually going through a really hard time. It's okay that you need professional help. And that's the way I spoke to myself. But I had to have the courage to be vulnerable because some people are so guarded that they can't even admit that, you know, they think there's something wrong with them. And there's nothing wrong with you if you're going through a hard time. Like we say, life is hard. It's normal as a human being to find it difficult to get through life because life, you know, can be difficult, but it's having the courage to be able to say, yeah, you know what, maybe I do need some help with this and to have the self-compassion to say that, that that's okay. So I think it does take courage, you know, courage can be really one of the number one things to live a really happy life because without courage, we just wouldn't go after our dreams, you know, our, our uh, audacious goals, right? We just wouldn't go after them because we'd just be too afraid all the time. Yeah, exactly. And that courage does involve being afraid, right? It's yeah. being afraid and still deciding to do it whilst afraid. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And doing it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I wonder if you can is there an example of when you're in your life when you've been able to really pick up that courage and say, this is what I really want to do. So I'm going to start to move towards it. Well, I think in, you know, I founded the Canadian Positive Psychology Association. And, you know, I remember thinking this is, you know, so many people were asking me, it was such a new field at the time. No one had really heard of it in Toronto, in my circles, and no one was really doing it. And you know, and then so I, I, people would come to my office and I'd have like three people in my boardroom and then, you know, 15 people in my boardroom and then 40 people in my boardroom. And I re I still have this mental picture of some people were sitting under the table and, you know, like there's so many people. Uh, and then a friend said, look, I've got a big office. Why don't you bring people there? And, you know, and so finally I just said, you know, I, I think I need to formalize this, but you know, I was afraid. I was afraid to put myself out there. Like, who am I to be, you know, to head the Canadian Positive Psychology Association? And uh, and and I think one of the things that helped me be courageous is I met some like-minded people. You know, I sat down with people and said, what do you think? What do you think about this? You know, what if we started the Canadian Positive Psychology Association? And they were like, I am in. I'm in. And I think that helps, you know, to be courageous. So there, there's two ways it could go. If you're talking to the wrong, if you want to be more courageous, I think if you're talking to the wrong person, right, you could tell your dream to somebody and they're like, what? Well, who the heck are you to do that? Or what's that? Or you don't, you don't have the skills to do that, right? So that's usually like a family member, right? <laughs> right? Which you think your family members are going to be so supportive. And they're the worst only because they're worried about you. They don't want you to make a fool of yourself or they don't want you to lose money or they don't want you, you know, right? Like, you know, they're worried about you. So they're not saying it necessarily to be mean, but they're worried, right? So you could you know, I always say, don't tell your dreams to those people, you know, tell your dreams to people 
who really get it and who really will support you and who really believe that you can do something, you know, those. And so I think for me, that was the turning point is just, you know, having people who are like, yeah, oh yeah, we can definitely do this. And that was really hard. And there were moments where I thought, oh my gosh, I've just destroyed my life. And then it was going to that support group saying, are you kidding? You haven't destroyed your life at all. You're fine. Everything's going to be fine. You know, and it's, it's always been, I think for me, the support group that has gotten me through everything because your mind, when things go really bad, as much training as you have, you know, sometimes your mind can just be in the catastrophe of it all. And so having those good and knowing those reliably safe people, right? You know, the reliably safe people who can, who will be there and not just to be nice. I don't always want people, oh, Louisa, you're, you look so nice and, you, you know, and everything's good and every always oh, perfect. No, I want people who kind of are also there to challenge me and to be realistic as well. You know, those I find are the most supportive people, but I think that's a game changer for me, you know, to have that support group and I have a really good support group. And I create them. I create them. I have mastermind groups. I have accountability partners. You know, I create those systems because they are so important. And and that's a really good point. Well, there's a couple really good points in there. So one is just that importance of community and other people surrounding us and the right kind of people who are are helping us to be a better person. Right. Yeah. And that's through support when that is what's needed. And that's through challenge when that is what need what's needed. Right. So when exactly. when we go out and we want to share this big audacious dream, it's it's like you say, let's find the person who's at that point. I don't want realistic. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for someone who will go big and crazy with me. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and and then once I've kind of got the support around me and, and belief a little bit more that that's something along the lines of this big, huge thing is possible. Then I want to, I want to chat with say my husband, who's the realistic type and say, okay, like, how do I make this happen? Like, show me how I don't need you to tell me whether it's possible or not. What I need you to do is show me like, let's work together and figure out what we could do here. Right. And those are just different phases of, of the journey and yeah. different types of people that we need for different types of things. And I think it's amazing that you have found those groups and that you have actually more importantly, which is the second point you've created those groups. I created the groups. Yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah. Because loneliness is like the epidemic at the moment. Loneliness is so huge in our world. And I think for moms, especially, it can be really easy to fall into the trap of thinking, I'm the only one that thinks this way. I'm the only one that feels this way right now. Yeah. And therefore not reach out for other people, even just to make friends. It's like, oh, I'm yeah. everybody else has as many friends as they need. So I don't want to bother them. Right? Yeah. Like, what is that right? word? Like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to bother them. I hear yeah. that. I hear that. But, you know, I think, you know, in our lives, you know, my, my friend always says, my one of my girlfriends says, you know, men are always going to come and go, but our girlfriends are what's, you know, going to be there. And, you know, you know, and I think that as mothers, we need to have those nights every week where we're going out with our girlfriends, 
because we need to maintain those girlfriend bonds. We need somebody to be able to have those talks with. And, you know, when, when our partners or things fall apart, you know, our girlfriends are there for us. And, you know, divorce rates are high or, you know, my, I, I went through a separation and then my ex-husband got sick and, and died. And who was there through all of that? My girlfriends, you know, and my daughters, you know, and I loved this man very much. We stayed very close friends and I, I actually moved him back in and, and my kids and I, we took care of him until he died. So that was hard. And again, who got me through that? My girlfriends. And if I had just dropped my girlfriends when I got married, you know, I, I would not have had them in my life, but because I was a devoted girlfriend, you know, who was there for them through the good, through good times and bad times. I'm not just there through bad times. We really believe that we need to have fun. Like I have several trips booked with my girlfriends, you know, already. And, you know, until February of next year, you know, like, we are always having fun. I was just up at my friend's cottage, you know, this weekend. And, you know, I think it's just really important that we maintain those fun friendships. I've got my masterminds for work and I've got my girlfriends, my fun times. Where did fun go? Like, you know, some people like I remember when I was in my 40s and my husband and I would go dancing uh, and people would say, oh, I don't what? You go dancing. I don't go dancing. I have kids. I'm like, yeah, I've got kids. They're with the babysitter, you know, or they're at the, or at grandma's house for the weekend, you know? Why can't we still have fun in our forties or when we have kids? What is, what do you think that is, Mel? What do, why do you think people have a hard time playing and having fun? I think it's, it's, Firstly, play is one of my strongest values and I am a massive fan of it and I struggle with it because I think as we grow up, we are we are taught that play is no longer no, no longer acceptable unless it's with a child. And even then it's hard to do still, to be honest. And there's there's something about how our play changes a little bit as we get older as well. And maybe we're not taught how to play anymore in a way, or given like the, the space to explore what that means for ourselves. Because play for me now is I like to play with possibility. I want to get some, some people out and I want to think big and I want to dream big and think like, okay, we want to go to the moon. Let's figure out how, you know, I just, even if it doesn't happen, I don't care about the happening part. What, what I love yeah. is the play of exploring what could be possible and that's one of my favorite things to do or to go to the beach with my kids and play in the sand but I have to force myself a bit more right because because yeah. I, I also want to sit and relax in the sand and something about play shifts in us I think as we get older and kids are a glorious reminder of the power of play my daughter sometimes just the other day like straight to the heart was like mama come play with me you never play with me anymore I'm like oh oh god (laughs) but it makes me reassess right I'm like I think I'm playing with her but in her eyes and who knows maybe that's just in the last two days maybe that's longer we don't know what she's talking like thinking in her mind about that but in her mind she's like mom I'm giving you an invitation to come and play more 
Like, please come, like, stop being so serious and planning whatever has to happen next. Just come play, come do some crafts with me or come just be right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. What a beautiful invitation that is. And sometimes as much as that hurts to hear, that's exactly what we need to hear is this invitation from kids or our friends or whoever it is to come, to come and play. And and I think even going back to, you know, permission to be human, permission to play, Mm-hmm. You know, and again, I think it comes back to courage yeah. because you're right. Society says, oh, that's silly. Oh, you know, are you, you're going to Burning Man. Like I remember when people, when I said I was going to Burning Man, first of all, people were excited because they would never go. Yeah. They're like, you're going to Burning Man. I wish I could go again. You could if you wanted to, right? <laughs> and what I love about Burning Man is you spend the whole week playing it is full-on adult play for seven days. You're climbing on structures, you're painting your body, you're, you know, you're dancing, you're, you know, any time of day and night, there's something fun and interesting. And, you know, somebody spent hundreds of thousands of dollars creating these things so that people could just play for seven days and you're wearing costumes. And and you're right. Some people would look at that and say, oh, that that's ridiculous. You know how, you know, you're, you're older now. That's so silly. Right. And you have to have the courage to say, I really don't care yeah, it is. And I love it. Yeah. Right? And that's and what my, I need. That's my body needs. That's what my, my mind needs. Right. Yeah. But yeah. also like on my deathbed, I'm going to say, damn it. I went to Burning Man, you know, <laughs> when I'm 96 in diapers sitting around watching soap operas, you know, I'm going to be like, I don't care because I went to Burning Man, you know, <laughs> like yeah. it's, you live, you live only one time, right? You live only once. And that's how I look at it is that we only live once. So go and dance and go to Burning Man and go and play with your kids and, you know, get out with your girlfriends and, and work out. Even some people feel that they can't, oh my gosh, how can I go and do my workout in the morning? Well, you need to do that to stay healthy, right? That's not even, that's not even play. That's hygiene as far as I'm concerned, you know, but we need to be able to, you know, give ourselves permission to to live our best lives. And then our kids see that, right? And then our kids feel the the permission to be able to live their best lives as well. Yeah, I love that. So there's two real themes that came out there. One is, is the play element and the other was community and connection with other people. And I wonder, what would you say to people, to moms especially, who maybe feel like they don't have that group of girlfriends they can go out and play with yet what what could they do to to make a step towards that you know i say be the change you want to be call a friend call you know i met so many mothers in the play groups or at the park you know or at my kids school like i still have a friend you know our kids went to school together and we still hang out and it's you know 25 years later 20 years in the making right and our kids are not friends anymore right not not that anything (laughs) happened they still you know like they still like each other and everything they just went their separate ways in terms of you know their lives but we are still good friends and we still love each other so you know and that just comes from hey do you want to go out for dinner we'll go sit and chat and have dinner and have a glass of wine or do you want to go see a movie or 
Do you want to go for a walk? You know, a, a run, you know, with I remember years ago with this particular friend, she was swimming and I said, where do you swim? And she said, oh, University of Toronto. And I said, I would love to come with you if that if you want someone to go with you. She said, I would love that. So we would go like I think the kids were at school and on I think Wednesday afternoons or something, we would swim. I would do the backstroke while she was doing the front stroke and we chat the whole like the whole <laughs> <laughs> So we got exercise, we chatted, we talked. And that's how, you know, we developed a our friendships. But, you know, I think this idea that we're going to bother somebody, guess what? They're probably sitting at home saying, geez, I wish somebody would ask me out for a glass of wine, you know, or we don't have to drink when we do it. But, you know, there's, I'm sure there's lots of people who are thinking, I really wish I had more friends and probably your invitation will be so welcomed. And then what's the worst that could happen? They say, oh, I'm too busy. Well, Okay, move on to the next person, you know, yeah. <laughs> right, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know that, you know, this has definitely been a challenge in my times because I moved to Vancouver Island from England during a pandemic. So like finding people to connect with was, especially for those first couple of years, really challenging. And I think always has been because I don't like small talk. I want to get into the goods. So the stories <laughs> I would tell myself would be like, you know, people will be intimidated of the fact that I want to talk about their deepest, darkest dreams, right? <laughs> You've got to ease them in. You've got to you ease, them, ease in. them in. Yes. And, and I was, eventually I kind of had to, I had to rewire and re reframe, I should say that story in my head of like, I'm not going to go in and, and go way deep, but I, I might just be like, well, I might be curious more than anything. Actually, my coaching stuff has helped so much because in a conversation with anyone, I'm, I keep telling myself I have to, I think we all do, I have to sound smart or I'm, I'm focusing so much on what I have to say that yeah. I'm not really listening to what the other person's saying that much. And in the end, if you just repeat back and be really curious about what they're saying yeah, and the conversation goes much smoother and it's more interesting and then you get to the fact that they like to swim at the pool and that oh like oh like I've always wanted to swim or I really like swimming and you move on to that more naturally right yeah that's definitely what well I continue to learn each time and uh is is so so important well and I think too if we just have this calm confidence that you know yeah. I'm smart enough I I don't have to think about what I'm saying because I'm sure whatever comes out of my mouth is going to be intelligent enough. And even yeah. if I don't have my most intelligent moment, it doesn't mean I'm not smart or I'm not intelligent or I'm not savvy mm -hmm. or, or cool, yeah. you know? Um, and think, the other person's yeah. probably just thinking to themselves about what they're going to say next, right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> that's just right. talk smart. <laughs> like that's just kind of the way it works, right? Yeah. So in some ways I, it doesn't matter yeah. what we say. I think, you know, and I think this, you know, you know about the work of Dr. Carol Dweck and the fixed mindset and the and the growth mindset. And, and really, I think the growth mindset is about caring less about what other people think, you know, and oh my gosh, I remember when I read that book, I thought I have a fixed mindset, 100%, you know, you know, 100%, I have a fixed mindset. And, and I thought to myself, you know, there I definitely have to change this because I really, really, really care too much about what other people think. And when I stopped caring 
about what other people think, oh my gosh, I mean, life was glorious. And I don't mean that I, you know, I don't care about what my clients think, because obviously I want to do a good job. And I care about what my friends and family think, because I don't want to hurt their feelings. And I want to be a good friend and a good parent and a good community member. And, you know, I just care less about if I want to go dancing, I don't care if people don't like that, because I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not doing anything wrong. If I want to go to Burning Man, I don't care, you know, what other people think. That's, and and actually people think it's cool as hell. You know what I mean? So we sometimes think, oh my gosh, people are really going to think badly of us. And then the next thing, you know, they actually think you're really cool for doing those things. So, you know, I think that's a real tool that we have to care less about. And if something comes out of my mouth that's stupid, I, I don't think I'm a stupid person. I just say, oh yeah, well, maybe that wasn't the smartest thing I said, but you know what? I'm still a pretty smart person. I don't know everything. You know, it's okay. Yeah. It's a really disconnecting action from who you are as a person, right? And so if you could, yeah. could you give us a little description, a little micro tutorial what about growth mindset? Oh, <laughs> well, you know, again, in a nutshell, it's about not focusing on looking good and instead focusing on getting good. That's kind of my nutshell for growth mm. mindset. And it's really about, so when we believe that intelligence and talent is fixed, you're either born that way or you're not, then you're always protecting you know, how you're showing up. Because if I show up as stupid one day, then you kind of, you have in this, in your brain, that means I'm stupid, like all of me, like I'm just a stupid human being. If I fail that test, that means I'm stupid, right? Whereas we know that if you fail that test, maybe you just didn't study enough. Maybe that's not your forte. Maybe that's not your strength. Maybe if you did another test, you'd get an A plus, right? So you're not just born that way because if you work really hard and study and practice through experience, you can get there. And that's the growth mindset to believe, yeah, I'm born with a certain intelligence. I'm born with a certain level of talent. Talent. And if I really want to be good at something, if I work hard and put the effort in, then I will succeed and do better and become smarter at it, become more intelligent at it, become more talented in that area. And as I do it, I know I'm not going to be good at it right off the bat because I've never done it before. I'm not good at it. Not yet. And that's Carol Dweck's favorite word is yet, right? But if I'm always embarrassed to go and try something and fail in front of other people because I care more about how I'm going to look, I'm never going to try those things. I'm never going to give myself the opportunity to get good at things that I really want to get good at. So... You know, I think we we have to give ourselves the permission to go out, try things, not look so good, fail at them and say, who cares? I'm actually getting better. And one day I'm going to be really good because I'm putting in the effort. And I think that's what is at the heart of growth mindset is to care more about just learning and growing and, and care less about what other people think as you're doing that. You know, I uh, a kid doesn't think, oh, my gosh, look at how stupid I look learning how to walk. You know, they just go and learn how to walk, right? 
when they're really not self-conscious and thinking, geez, people must think I'm, you know, I'm really awful at walking, right? <laughs> they just yeah. go and try it. We don't do that as adults. Are you kidding? We'd be too embarrassed, you know, to go out and, and do something like that. And we have to just get over that, you know, when people talk about fear of failure, it's really not fear of failure. It's really fear of being socially evaluated. That's the fear. Because if I said, you know, Mel, I'm going to put you on, you know, the planet over there, and you're going to try all these things with podcasts and this and business ventures, and you're going to have this fake audience that's going to help you perfect it all. And then when you come back, it'll all be perfect. You go, yeah, okay, sign me up, because then I'm not failing in front of anybody, right? Wouldn't we all love to do that, right? Uh, because it'd just be so much easier. So really, it's not fear of failure. It's really fear of evaluation. And if you can get over that fear, and, you know, and again, to remind yourself that often people are not saying, oh, look, she failed at something. Instead, they're saying, oh, look at her. Look at her. She's like really going after it, you know, like with your podcast, right? You're, you're inspiring so many women and so many moms and saying, look at Mel has a podcast. You know, this is fantastic and good for her, right? You know, it's inspiring when you go out and do stuff. Definitely. And that action does create that. And my response to anybody who says something similar to that to me is like, and you can too. Right. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's amazing exactly. that I'm doing this and you can too. And it did take me four years to do it. Like, it's not like I just jumped in with fully confident ability to just start talking to the air, <laughs> especially when it's just <laughs> me talking. Right. Yeah. It just took practice. I did ones that I didn't I didn't put out there, you know, like there's lots of different things that came along the way. And the point is that, that they can too. anyone can, yeah. if that's what they really want to do. And exactly. thank you for that description of growth mindset. And what, what comes to my mind is how it relates, how, what, how developing our own growth mindset really can positively impact our children as well. If there was one thing we really worked on it, I think it would be growth mindset that would that would really make a difference. You know, I look at my son who, who somewhere along the way, he's five now has developed, he does go into not having a growth mindset and he'll get really frustrated. And it's like, I never, and he catastrophize and, and everything along the way, I'll never be able to do it. I'll never this, I'll never that. And I, I love that you pointed out the word yet, because that's what we use a lot. It's like, I can't tie my shoes yet. Yeah. I can't sorry. get my sock on yet. And he just looks at me. He's like, stop saying that, you know, but it, <laughs> it, <laughs> but it gets in his mind. And I think what comes to my mind is this importance of us doing things in front of our kids and in front of the world that do scare us and that we're not good at yet. And showing exactly. others that that's what we do helps them to try things too. So yes. an example that comes to mind is, my daughter seems to have a natural uh, desire for music, both kids actually, but daughter especially. And my husband's really good at the piano. At least I think he's good. He doesn't think he's good. But he went to like grade eight or nine or something when he was a kid. And then actually stopped when, uh, when like a 12, he was 17 and a 12 year old was better than him. So I was like, oh no, you should keep going. But anyways, the point of the story is that he goes and plays this super fancy song on the piano and my kids are kind of intrigued, but they don't really do anything else. 
So recently I was like, I'm going to download an app that will teach me how to play piano. And it is like starting from the super basics. And I sit there with my iPad in front of me and it takes me through the different lessons and I make mistakes and my kids are standing there watching me and they want to come and sit and play. Right. They want to come and sit and play because it's accessible and because they see that I struggle with bits and I have to do it over and over and over again. Yeah. And they see that you're starting. Exactly. Oh, this is where we start. And, you know, I think when you show them that baby step, they go, oh, I I can do that. Like, I can't do what dad does, but I can do that. So it changes their belief that they could actually do it too. Yeah, exactly. So with that, like, what do we learn from that? What else in life can we show our kids, even with our dream, like that actually we aren't going to be good right away at it and that we're going to try it anyways. And we're going to let them see the fact that we're not good at it. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to do, as you say, because as humans, our biggest fear in general is to look bad and be isolated from other people because we need that connection with other people so strongly. So it takes some work to acknowledge that fear and say, actually, I wouldn't be isolated for this or it's unlikely or this is what I'd do if I was. I'd find the other people that wouldn't. And, you know, to work through that fear so that we can actually just show up and try new things. Well, exactly. And I think, again, this goes back to the support group. So role models, seeing people who are doing it, that helps us to believe, yeah, I can, I can do that too. But also to say, you know, I went out and I tried this thing and man, did it ever fail, you know? And so, you know, with my accountability partner, we go through, well, what happened? What did we do? You know, what did we do? that didn't work well and what did we do that actually did work well and what are, yeah. what would we change for next time and just get back up and try again you know because often we feel compelled to kind of give up after the first try because we're so embarrassed and instead yeah. you have to just be able to say no I learned a lot and we're just going to yeah. move on even better just laugh at it sometimes things happen like like yeah. Shite's hitting yeah. the fan in the house somehow. And I'm like, and I just look at the situation and I just start laughing because this is the most ridiculous thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? Yes. <laughs> but I think it's like, good. I, I think it's good if we can also learn and say, well, what, yeah. what did we do? Because sometimes, again, we want to just throw the baby away with the bathwater and say, screw it. You know what yeah. I mean? And just be able to say, well, what it, you know, I'm just going to keep focused on the goal. And I, I really, you know, and what did I learn and what am I going to do differently? Like I'm doing stand-up comedy. So I'm doing another set now. So I'm starting tonight, actually. Tonight is my first class. And I do, I create sets with groups of people because I just find it a lot easier. And, you know, the only way you think you're funny as hell when you write something, but the only way you actually know if you're funny is if you get up and, and say it. And I've already created a bit of a bit for this group. And then as I say it, as I get up, even just say it to myself, I think, oh, that's not funny, you know, and then I'll get up in front of them. And if they don't laugh, I'll say, well, you're not funny like that. that I don't, I actually don't say you're not funny. I say the material's not funny. You have to change the material because if you say you're not funny, you'll never get back up, right? But I always say the material's not working, change the material and then get back up, right? And then then the next time, oh, more people are laughing. You go, okay, it's working. So yeah. I think the more we can sort of just focus on the task and not worry so much about us. Yeah. 
you know, it, it helps us to be, to do things like stand up comedy, which is, you know, exciting and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Isn't there a word that combines exciting and terrifying? Oh, I, that like, would be a good word. Exciting or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a good word. That is doing stand up comedy. Ter excite. Yeah. There's got to be a word. I'll, I'll have to think about it. Maybe I'll come up with it in my, <laughs> in my routine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Brilliant. I love that you're out there doing that and, and really taking something I'm assuming that scared you quite a bit when you first came into it and probably still does, you know, oh, yeah. like standing up there, that's, that's, that's full on fighting that fear or embracing maybe even that fear of being isolated because someone's not going to laugh. Like that's like the biggest yeah. fear, right? Yeah. Someone's yeah. either going to laugh for the wrong reason or not going to laugh. And it's, and it's amazing yeah. that you can get up on stage and, and just take that on. Right? Well, I think feel yeah. that courage that we were talking about. And I think if you're just focused on, look, I'm just getting up in front of people just to see what material works and what material doesn't. It's not me. It's, you know, and it's really hard to do, you know, because you take it personally because it is you getting up there and <laughs> you know what I mean? But the more you can, and I remember, I don't know if you remember, but Jerry Seinfeld, you know, the most successful comedian probably of all time, right? He, he scrapped all of his old material and hmm. he was trying new material and he had to go into the clubs as Jerry Seinfeld and try this new material, you know, talk about growth mindset, you know, he could really think, well, how can Jerry Seinfeld go and do an embarrassing set? But, you know, he had to do that to try the material. That's the only way he would know, right? So talk about terrifying. But he he, his, he said in his documentary, he said, I didn't care if they liked me. I wanted them to like the material. Like that's mm -hmm. such a growth mindset thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, so what's your favorite topic of positive psychology? Well, I think it's the topic of my book, uh, Wire Your Brain for Confidence. And it's really the topic of self-efficacy, which is why I wrote about that. And, you know, so, you know, I always struggled with anxiety. I always, you know, I was terrified of, you know, I always wanted to look good. You know, I was really terrified of of looking bad in front of other people and, and then when I discovered the, that there is a science on how you can actually grow in, in confidence and how you can actually do it, how you put it into practice and that there are steps you can take to become calmly confident. Because I would always say I was kind of confident. I would go out and do things, but I was always terrified. I always had so much anxiety and then I'd do it and it wouldn't be perfect and I would beat myself up. And so there was no joy in the stuff that I was doing, even if I was successful, I had imposter syndrome, I'd still question, you know, myself and never think that anything was good enough. Or I'd get 49 glowing reviews of my workshop. And what was I focused on the one person who didn't enjoy my my workshop, you know, and then then then, then I thought it was terrible just because of one person. So I really didn't want to live that way anymore. And when I learned about the whole science of self-efficacy, which is the belief that you can be successful in any given domain, and really beliefs are everything. You know, you really have to believe 
uh, everything to feel good about yourself, to feel confident, to have the courage. And so I really uh, wrote about that in my book about, you know, how to change those beliefs, how, how to actually do it. You know, what's the step by step on how to actually do it? And I think I, I think it's because I was so blown away by that research that I really had to write a book about it. So that's my favorite. And I remember with my writing coaches, they said, what do you want to write about? And I said, I'm going to write about positive psychology. And they said, no, no, too broad, too broad. What's your favorite topic? And I said, oh, it's got to be Albert Bandura's work on self-efficacy. They're like, that's what you're going to write about. It's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And, and it is so, so important. So how would you, can you, if someone wants to work on their self-efficacy, can you give us a little insight into how would someone go about doing that? Shifting their well, beliefs. So there's, there's a number of contributors to self-efficacy. So if you want to change your beliefs, one of the best ways to change your belief is, so say you think you can't do something, like let's talk about playing the piano, right? So, you know, let's say you're trying to change the self-efficacy of your children, for example, and their belief as to whether they think they can be as good as their dad one day, right? So the first one is to have what we call performance experiences. So that is to go and try something. And if you're successful doing it, then that changes your belief. You say, geez, I, I did it. Maybe I can do it again. So that is the most powerful way to actually change your belief in yourself. And a lot of people say, well, thanks. If I, you know, if I wasn't so afraid to go and try it, I would do that. <laughs> Right. So the the thing is, is to take baby steps. And what do we do with kids? We take them down, 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 you know, like the, the first piano lessons are not learning, you know, Bach. Right. We're just doing little, you know, practices. And that's how we get better and better and better. And I'm sure that's how your husband also learned. He's probably started at the beginning. Right. So the more we can sort of take baby steps towards something the more we start to then gradually improve and gradually, and then that builds, and I always say competence breeds confidence, right? So that getting better. Uh, another thing is to have role models, you know? So, you know, when your kids see you sort of starting like that, they say, well, mom's doing that. Maybe I can too, right? Or, you know, I remember my husband used to go to CrossFit and I would think, oh, I can't, I can't do CrossFit. And then I saw a friend of mine who was sort of my frame, you know, my height and whatever. And, and it was a woman and I thought, oh, she's doing CrossFit. Oh, maybe I can do CrossFit. So I think having role models really changes our beliefs as well, which is why it's important to have role models that are, you know, the same gender as us or the same color as us or the same age as us, you know, like seeing people that kind of look like us, you know, I think makes a difference in, you know, in, in whether we believe we can do it or not. You know, another one is social support really important. We need to have those people who will encourage us to do, uh, to, to do well and to be there for us to say, you can do it. You know, having those support structures, whether you create those with the coaches or whether you have friends or family, you know, that will do it for you. I think that that's a big, you know, really big one. So those are some, some things, you know, that build self-efficacy. 
brilliant. <laughs> That's really brilliant. So one small wins, as I put it. Uh, so really, you know, knowing, seeing that you achieve things, even the tiniest little things, like we said before, laughable steps, right? Oh, well, I can yeah. do that. Okay. And all of a sudden you're further along than you thought you originally <laughs> believed that you could do. Exactly. And you have to believe that you did them. You know, imposter yeah. syndrome kind of perpetuates this idea that you go out and you're successful, but you never really think that it's you or you just yeah. got lucky or, you know, everyone in the room was smoking pot. You know, you know what I mean? Like, like you have to really believe when you go and do stuff that you did it, you know, and that's why it's so important. People say, oh, it was nothing. Go, no, it actually was something, you know, like congratulate yourself. Understand that this was an achievement. This moved the needle for you, you know, take it in. Don't give it away to somebody else. Yeah, I love that. And then having the role models and the social support and being the other two. And I absolutely love all that because it. Well, firstly, my little entrepreneurial mind is going crazy right now and all the directions and things that this could be because I started this podcast, but also the the company because I believe in community and in doing things that scare us. And if we can bring people together to do that, then it's everything you just said, right? We're, we're yeah. going to automatically have role models who are just a little further ahead than, or, than we are. We're going to get some small wins if we challenge each other to go and do things that scare us. And we'll have that network around us, that community around us say, yeah, that was freaking amazing. Wow. How did you do that? Like, can you exactly. teach me? Right. Yeah. So yeah, it, it all comes back to that community to help make it happen. Right. And having yeah. those dreams, yeah. having those, you know, we can have our big audacious dream, which is like the crazy huge one that actually might not happen in your lifetime. And then we can take it down and say, okay, like within that, what other dreams are there? Right. So if my big dream is, is to create a together world, that's, that's the world I want to create. Then I just, my job is just to figure out how to do that in little ways throughout my life. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So if I can get a group together to go jump in a cold lake in the winter, that's doing all of those things you just mentioned. Yeah. Right. Yes. Very true. If you can do that, you can do anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Amazing. I can't hear it. I can't hear it. Excellent. So thank you for sharing that and about those few steps that we can take. And I'm definitely going out to buy your book and read it. <laughs> and I hope that others will as well. Is there anything else that you would like to share or give any tips or anything along those lines that you'd like to share before we finish today? No, I think I'm, I've just got a whole box of my books right here. So I'm going to just pull one out. And I think, you know, Wire Your Brain for Confidence, The Science of Conquering Self-Doubt. I think there are a lot of tips in here if people do want to read it. And in fact, I'm going to be doing some more work around it, which which I'm excited about. But I think I think for you know, final tips. I think really it's about, you know, we we don't have that many days, you know, on this earth, right? I'm really starting to get very clear on what I focus my attention on and what I spend my time on. You know, that word spend, it's like, 
I'm careful on what I spend my money on and careful on what I spend my time on. And I've only got one life to live. So I, I really do think it's important to be doing what you really want to do and find the courage and the confidence to go and do it. Because at the end of your life, there's nothing worse than sitting there regretting what you didn't do. And that's where most people's regrets are, not what they did do in life, but what they didn't do in life. And think about that. Think about sitting on your deathbed and thinking, did I really go out and live the life that I wanted to really live? Yeah. 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 So that's what I would say. And, and even better, you've trained your brain so much that you don't even think about whether you whether you've done it because you just know <laughs> right? I just yeah and, you know we were my friends and I we were talking about this we're kind of like the next generation of positive psychology you know we're kind of early adopters right like you know I've been studying this for 15 years now you know and incorporating it into everything I do and the work I do so you know, we've had many years to kind of have a new version of what positive psychology has really done for us. And I, if someone said, what, what is it that you do every day? Uh, I really, it'd be so hard to kind of tease apart because you kind of live a certain way after a certain amount of time. So I think, you know, I think it really is about figuring out, you know, how to, how to live a certain way, be a certain way, show up a certain way. Yeah, it's a whole bunch, whole bunch of things. I love that. And I love that you've written that book and I highly recommend people go and read it. And one of the reasons I say that not only is because you're amazing and everything we just talked about is amazing, but because I think there's, there's this, this kind of feeling about self-help, self-help books out there. And there's this, there's a gazillion million of them. Right. And I yeah. think the difference between yours and others who come from the positive psychology side of things, is this is all research backed. You're not just saying my life went this way, so you should do it too. Right. It's actually, yeah. this is what the science is telling us. And yeah. here's some exact ways to go and better your well-being. Well, it's good to know the science because it's easy to say, yeah, go and be courageous. But it's like, well, how do I do that? You know, can you tell me some of the psychology around fear or, you know, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? Or around courage, right? And then once you know some of the psychology, it's so much easier to to navigate the, you know, the, what you want out of life. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. So where can people find you should they w wish to well, louisajewel.com. I'm just launching a new website soon. So I'm very excited Yay. about that. And uh, yeah, but louisajewel.com, they can find me there. Amazing. I love that. And thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm so excited to share all of this with everybody who listens and beyond. And hopefully speak to you again at some point soon. I love following all of your travels and your various bits and pieces and all the amazing work you're doing. Uh, Louisa, for anybody who works with in so many different settings, I think you could say more, Louisa, but you do a ton of work out there sharing and spreading this word about positive psychology and how we can really better our well-being, both with individuals, but in organizations and all sorts. So absolutely, um, it's worth yeah. having a look at your website to see what that is. I know if I owned a larger business and needed some an inspirational speaker in there, I'd be calling you up. So oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you so much.
Thank you, Mel. Well, thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. And congratulations on your podcast and everything, all the good work that you're doing. So thank you for everything you're doing in the world. Thanks. That is it, folks. This has been Mel Finlater on Permission to be Human, the podcast. And I am so glad that you have joined us here today and hope that you have taken away some tidbits that will help you go away, connect with your big audacious dream and make that massive impact in the world that you are dying to make. If you liked today's episode, please, please, please like it, share it. Think of one person. Think of one person that you think would also like it and send it on over to them. Let's get this out there and more moms feeling like themselves, inspired, dreaming big, and out there being them. Please do head on over to find me on Facebook with permission to be human or Instagram, or you can even pop me an email and say hello at permission to be human always at gmail.com say hello and let me know that you listened what did you like about it i would love to hear if you didn't like it eh, i don't really want to know <laughs> just kidding you can share that if you want i would love to know however who you are let's connect let's find out what you want more of yes this is a newer podcast so i want to hear from you and i want to make it what would be useful to you As always, remember that you have permission to dream big, permission to feel big, and permission to be you. You have complete and full permission to be human. For real, you do.